Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm your host again, Jay Hersko. Joining me once again, these guys are becoming a regular regulars. We have the Mad Dog, Mike Doherty. Mike, how are you? Doing fantastic. Great to hear. Great to hear. And Pete, Oliver Kruger. Pete, how are you? I'm also doing fantastic. That's great. So three, three of us are all doing fantastic. We're all lying to each other. So let's go in. So <laughs> Uh, the topic of this episode, well, uh, Mike and Pete have another project. You might remember them uh, from the last uh, interview we did with them and the book they were working on. Now they have another project that they're working on that we really wanted to get them on to talk about, the Library of Agile. And no, it is not a transformation framework. It is not, specifically. It says that multiple times. So um, I'm going to start with you, Mike. And if you were running into me in the elevator, and you said, I'm working on the Library of Agile. And I said, well, Mike, what the hell is that? How would you respond to me? So the good news about the Library of Agile is you can start pretty small and grow it and scale it from there, getting that very popular word out there. And it's a journey, getting that other very popular word out there. Consider the Library of Agile a way to help you figure out where you are and Sometimes we all run into the case, if you've been doing coaching and running as a scrum master or a leader that's uh, involved in any agile delivery, that failure happens. And uh, I've seen it so many times. I've been uh, involved in a value management office in the past where we had uh, 80 projects we're running at a given time. And out of the 80, there are some that just uh, said, yeah, we're doing safe and less combined and we have a half day PI planning. Oh yeah, that sounds like you're doing it great by the book there. It must be wonderful. How, how's that turning out? Well, our um, story points keep uh, going higher and higher. Now we have teams of 30 people with a thousand story points they're supposed to complete in a sprint. I'm like, hmm, yeah. So what we realize is that there are multiple reasons why transformations fail and there's some commonalities there i mean of course the sky's the limit because we're dealing with cultures and people and organizations and there are so many different variances nuances permutations and combinations out there but basically this is not an assessment tool it's a way to break yourself out of your current trap you might be in when you find out your transformations, you're not doing what you expect it to do, or it's just flat out failing, you're trying to hide and figure out a way to fix it. Trying to hide it. Okay, so Pete, you're in the same elevator as me and Mike. You just heard me ask Mike this question, and then you just heard his answer. And you're obviously his partner. So when I turn and look at you in that elevator and I go, is this guy freaking crazy? What would you say to me? I would say yes, but not because of that answer. Uh <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. Um, no, the, I mean, he's totally right. This is, this has really become like a community project to kind of look at how do organizations fail when they start rolling out Agile. And then sort of making a list of all of the different places where that could possibly happen and uh, where it might happen for different reasons. And then starting to do some cross-referencing on that kind of stuff. So when people solve these problems, what does Kanban do? What does Scrum do? What does SAFE do? Um, you know, the... You can pick a different methodology. What does XP do? You know, the like you take something like, you know, you know, if you don't collaborate on a regular basis, then things are going to start to fall apart. Um, so you can do stand-up meetings, you can do mob programming, um, you can just have a collaborative workspace. 
um, where you're all there and working or, or scheduling like regular working sessions to make sure that you're all doing these collaborative things. They're all things that we know that we need to do, but each of the different formats, each of the different schools, approaches, frameworks, or whatever, might have a different approach to how, on how to do that. And so this was an effort to sort of go through and catalog all these different things and figure out where were the crossover points, you know, and more importantly, where are the points where if you don't have this thing, like any version of this thing, you need to get a version of this thing. Uh, and so that was, that was like the, really the start of it. So that's what we call it the library of Agile. So it's just this overview of all the different parts of Agile. And we found out there's quite a few parts. So there's about four main different focuses of area and each one has about 20 different practices or problem, really problem areas inside of it. And then there's, you know, who knows how many versions of practices that then solve those problems. Um, so it just gives you a map. And I, I, when I dug into the materials that you guys sent me, one of the things I, I was most intrigued by, and I think this is where um, not only do you differentiate yourself, but it actually makes so much logical sense that it's kind of like, well, duh, why didn't somebody come up with this sooner, is the idea of composability, right? So these are all different pieces. They're all different Legos, and they all stack on top of another. And a Lego by itself is worth nothing, um, except if you step on it barefoot. We've all done that. I don't even have kids, and I remember what that feels like. It's terrible, yeah. right? But with all these, these practices, these mindset, these things, you, you're supposed to stack them together. You know, so when Mike, you, you made the remark, oh, well, we're doing half safe, half less with a half day of PI planning. It's kind of, it's kind of like the world's worst <laughs> cocktail, but I would kind of, you know, I would respond with, okay, so really, really, how, that, how is that working out? Because there is that concept of composability, right? And the way you, you, you to approach this is, yeah, all these little things are kind of tied together in ways you may not even see. So st start stacking them with each other and you're going to end up in probably a smarter place. The other, the other approach you took, which I really, really loved, which we've had this conversation in some of the experiments, the, the uprising is about around the idea of choose your own agile adventure, right? Um, for those of you that are younger and don't remember these books for shame, um, these are books that were really big in the eighties where you would get to a certain point and it would tell you if you're going to go into the left cave, go to page 87. If you're going to go to the right cave, go to page 273. And you worked your way through the book and more often than not, you hit a dead end and you had to go back and you would think to yourself, and this is where I think this, this concept comes in. You would think to yourself, okay, so where did I maybe go left where I should have went right? And along with composability, that, that mental model of, okay, let's play things backwards, get back to where we made that, that weird hook and maybe go the other direction. That is a, uh, that's a mental uh, hurdle that I guarantee you a lot of people, and I, I wanna, I'm curious to see what both of your experiences are, especially in leadership, like going back and saying, well, maybe I should have went right there. It's kind of a tough question to ask, right? Yourself, let alone of other people. So um, in the Choose Your Agile Adventure, and I did love them as a kid, and we've come up with a lot of uh, cute words and phrases like safe has with it. I mean, what great marketing. We're, we're, we gotta, we gotta start uh, having our own marketing division on the things we have because we also call it Amy, which is Agile Mindset Mapping Index. You might think it's an assessment, but it's more than that. It's ever growing, it's publicly available. Now I'll say that there's four, as, as Pete was bringing up, there's four different areas that it has and each of them have like 20 practices where it's five, six different categories, which are kind of like look like value streams and how value streams tend to flow, that you get the people involved and you're gonna do the design, you're gonna do the planning, you're gonna implement, you're gonna verify, and then you're gonna operate on it, right? So then you get in the value streams. All these are deep and they're changing based on our real-time feedback that we're getting that where we're practicing this 
uh, real clients right now and they're helping us grow it. And with that, there's this overall view that with all these great word choices, we're, we're doing this a little bit differently. And we do have it in our upcoming book, like you mentioned. And, and the different part is that composability. Now you can say safe, hey, they got um, the Agility Health Radar with that company and comparative agility. And they kind of connect all their assessments in these agile radars that they have, uh, uh, radar chart spider diagrams as they call. And those are spreadsheets totally available to out there. Uh, yet they're very focused on the world of safe and getting those competencies to get business agility. They're okay. They can have their purpose too. And I have used those uh, for a, at least one implementation. Here we're, we're bringing in other perspectives as well as safe perspective uh, included in that. And so these perspectives are really self-paced, choosing your own adventure there and having it where you can figure out where you go as your own team on taking these assessments and evaluating where you're missing things. Because a lot of the problems out there is people don't know what to do. Uh, and they don't know what they don't know. And they, they're, they, they get caught in their own little way of thinking. They, I, I like to say it's like uh, 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 they box themselves into their own uh, level of bias or, or frame of like, I'm helpless. Like the elephant that's a, a baby elephant, you put a stake in the ground and a chain on it. Elephant can't pull out, but once it's full grown, it could easily do it, but it's forced helplessness. It, that's how teams end up and products end up with programs. And we go up to the level of organizations and we go global with impact. So those last two levels aren't totally available freely uh, on the Library of Agile, but the others are. And it hits those challenges that people have where they feel like they're in forced helplessness or they feel like they don't know what to do. Here's a way to get you to a next level and feel like you're freed again. You bring up a very interesting point with the idea of that choose your own adventure book and forced helplessness in the sense that, you know, there are times you get yourselves backed into a corner. Right. Because if you think about every transformation we have all ever been a part of, every change initiative, forget even a transformation, every change initiative, there's when they don't go as well as we would have liked, there was always an inflection point. There was a point where it kind of turned and very, very infrequently. I, and I'd be curious to hear what you two think. Very infrequently, do we stop and look back at that and say, hey, where did this where did this, you know, stake start to really go bad and we tried to resuscitate it and then we all end up with the coli. It's very hard for us to do that. And that, just the idea of using the language of choose your own adventure, it forces you to look back and see where you made some decisions and not to say that they were wrong, they were unsuccessful. And that's, a, I, I, that's one of the things, again, it keeps bouncing in my head. It's a very powerful conversation to even have with someone where you turn and you say, you know, VP Pete, um, we're not really getting the value we thought we were going to get. Where do you think, let's take a beat. Where do you think we, we went a little off, off? Where do we go wrong? And just that concept, that a conversation. I mean, even if it goes terribly and VP Pete wants to fire me, which honestly probably does happen more than we'd like to admit. Um, it's still a good conversation to have. I think one of the things is that it doesn't, it's not all compounded together. So that's one of the things that I've seen is people like this, that learned helplessness kind of thing is folks get into an agile transformation. And they're like, oh, this isn't working. Or I've been to places where they're like, oh, agile just doesn't work for us. Um, you know, and so one, it was like kind of looking at it from a scientific perspective, you know, across multiple different versions of it, chatting with a bunch of different people. Have you had this problem? Have you had that problem? What did you do? How did you solve it? You know, and starting to realize that it wasn't that 
Agile didn't work. It wasn't that the entire system didn't work. They actually had a lot of pieces that were working really well. And once I was able to see that and piece it together and have uh, these categories and say, okay, well, let's look through these things. So these pieces of your system are going great, but you don't have this piece. And without this, these other three pieces are useless. So now we need to figure out, okay, so how, what are you going to do for this? Like, I don't care which version you do, but you need to have a solution for this. Like one of the biggest popular ones is, is being able to look at the, the big picture. So, you know, there's a section in here under design that has to do with visualizing your work and looking at it sort of from end to end. And I, I've run into many organizations over the years where they have the systems in place, they're doing the collaboration, they've got the retros, they got a good team going, uh, they're working with their product owners, but they're working with their product owners on just the thing they're looking at right now. And so they're not looking at how the entire system fits together. And so the architects can't plan out and figure out what needs to be done. They're discovering problems late in the process um, that uh, eventually is going to uh, you know, cause them problems. And they, they often attribute it to emergent design. And they're like, oh, well, the design is just going to merge as we go along. But you know, there's certain things you can figure out upfront right away. Right. But we don't want to do big upfront design either. But there's a bunch of exercises where you just visualize it, put it together, string it together. And I can take the same team, the same people, have them visualize their work. And now with the exact same processes, they're like, oh, now I get it. Now I know why the product owner is asking me to do this and why that has to go there. And the architect's like, oh, so you want me to do this in six months, so I better have something right here now that we're building it. And then all the pieces start to fall into place and they start you know, clicking and they start really being able to, to do something effective. And that scenario, Pete, sounds to me like one that most coaches see, most scrum masters see day in and day out where yeah. we fall, and, and this is a human thing, right? We fall in love with this. And, and um, to give a little bit of background, Pete and Mike shared with me a mural board that they worked on to visualize this solution. And one of the things that jumped off the page to me is, is something that I know we all do. We focus a lot on solutions and we don't take the minute or the breath to understand what the actual problem is. If we just do scrum, we will be okay. If we just do scrum better, we will be okay. And then again, you're building on sand and that whole idea of, which I thought you, you gentlemen called that very elegantly, focus on, talk about the problem and unpack that you, you, to your point. Okay, so you have these three things, but they're not really fitting together. So what's the thing that's missing? Where's the problem? Oh, the problem is, you know, we have a dependency way of the way over here, which is completely unresolved. And that's just completely screwing any chance we have at being um, successful. I, I really thought that was a brilliant call out because, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And when, when your wife really wants that convertible C6 Corvette, that's what she really wants. Even though you know when they chop the top off it, it's going to be a death trap with no structural or integrity. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So that, um, and I'm going to throw it back to you, Mike. You know, you, you guys talked about some of the reasons transformation fail. That was one of them. One of the other ones you talked about is the, the concept of which you could go with. I'd like you to go in a little bit. The idea of sphere of influence and span of control and how when we, when we fail to grasp something that we think things are in one place, but it's in somewhere else. And it's kind of like, for lack of a better term, that, that feeling of helplessness. Can, can we talk a little bit about that and how we, we kind of we shoot our own transformations in the foot because of that, missing those two? Yeah, that, that's an awesome one. Um, to go over that spear influence and, and back to that force helplessness, because it has a lot to do, and it really comes down to me. 
to psychological safety. That what happens is people get into their organization a level of things that they think, I can't go beyond this. And I think it was Gerald Weinstein who had said uh, in Popularize an Agile Community about, uh, you don't know how far you can uh, push the envelope until you try. And it's all about getting teams to stop thinking that, well, I can't bring in security early because they're too busy. Um, I'm doing a lot of work in our US government right now. And I'm actually, it's pretty amazing, impressive work. Uh, and I'm having this little discussion with one of my non-government workers. And he says, government work can't be fun if you're trying to do agile. And I, I beg to differ uh, because this is a lot of fun here. And one of the things that makes it fun is that you can open their eyes to doing what we call uh, a 40 operate in a day. That's a goal that they have or where they can uh, openly say everything gets done. Shifting security left, building testing in, all those great things. How do you get them to start thinking that way? Well, first you gotta make sure they feel safe about bringing it up because something usually happened where they brought up an idea and then it got pushed back on there, or they got slapped on the hand, they got negative feedback from maybe their own team members. Yep. Dinged, anyone. they got dinged, yeah. They yeah. got dinged, and then they start having that behavior like, I shouldn't ask that, I should, that's the way it is here, can't change it. And those words just are the opposite of the positive words we're talking about. Is we don't do it that way here. Just that one is like a challenge for me. I'm ready to just duke it out. Oh yeah, let's see if you're right. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 so Fight, they, it's fighting words. It's fighting words. I'm Irish, so I got a little bit. I'll put in some, you know, some Irish whiskey in me and put up my dukes. And I'm a skinny, tall guy, but I, I when it comes to that sort of thing, I, you can ask my wife. Uh, I can be on the debate club anytime. Oh yeah, I think we can. There's a will, there's a way. So in any event, taking that approach with building psychological safety is the first thing, and that's where it isn't exactly built in necessarily into. Library Agile, but you can feel it in there when you go through that. The psychological safety, those words are definitely used. You can see how that's the starting point. And that allows you to choose your own adventure so you don't end up getting caught into being eaten by you know, piranha in the pool in that cave that you went on the left cave when you should have done the right. And even if you do, you can see the piranha before you go in and say, okay, we want to get out of there because we just used this tool, I'll call it, this system to help us get, a, uh, get ourselves out of that bad situation. So um, I'd like to, we've talked a lot about the theory and about where this idea came from and how you guys put it together. Uh, we kind of went really down the rabbit hole, which was kind of fun, which by the way, Mike, if you're doing a lot of security work, we have an upcoming episode where we're talking about better value, sooner, super happier. The chapter on security, I can't believe how much I enjoyed that chapter. Like, like the whole infosec, like, like let's, be, let's be real here. Everybody's listening. It's kind of unsexy, right? But I, I walked away from that book thinking, that was probably the best chapter of that book. And I never, ever thought I would say that in my life. Now I'm going to proceed to set myself on fire because I definitely lost a bet with somebody <laughs> about, about risk and, and, and infosec and all that. But what I'd like to talk about, guys, um, can we talk about a little bit more about the tool and some, some usage scenarios? So someone's listening to the show. They've got their curiosity piece. And now they want to go in and kind of start poking around. What are, what are some of the suggestions you would make to like almost, almost a, them choosing their own adventure where if you find yourself here, start with this. Or if you find yourself here, start with this, but beware of that. What do you think, Pete? I'll start with you. Sure. Yeah, we've gone through various different versions of this and tried out a bunch of different things. And one of the things that we're finding that works really well is to kind of go through 
and think about um, four key kind of areas. And so we've added a new section to the website now that start your own adventure. Uh, and so it kind of walks people through that process. And so the first step is focusing on what are some problems I'm trying to solve? Because if you're trying to make an agile transformation happen and you need to motivate the people to make that actual change, like it's hard to make a change. Um, and it requires people to do something different. If they don't understand why they're doing it, they're not going to want to do it. And they may just not do it at all, or they may tell you they're going to do it and not actually do it. You know, so we're finding that it's really core to, to understand that you have like to make a change, you got to make something better for them. So I find out what's not better for them. Find out what's not good for them right now. What could you solve using Agile? Identify those things that are the most important, um, that are these biggest problems, and go in and tackle that. Um, and so you can kind of walk through this process. And then we start looking at um, you know, collaboration points. So the second step there is like, we don't really get into roles because roles are very different from the different uh, agile spectrums and the different uh, systems that are out there. But everybody comes together at some point, that's the point of agile. You know, we come together and deal with people related issues, human resources kind of issues. We come together and we design together. We come together and we plan together. You know, we build together, we do operations together. Uh, we do testing and all these different things. So we actually have like six different categories that we've been able to sort of conceptually break everything down. And so looking at where does your problem exist in the organization? Is it a design problem or is it an execution problem? Is it an operations problem or is it a people problem? Uh, and then knowing from there where you need to go and then looking at, you know, is this something that's just about my small little team? And so this, again, takes us back to sort of those spheres of influence. Um, you know, is this a, a problem between my team and somebody else's team? Is this across the entire organization? We're all having this problem. You know, and then what do I have influence on? What are the things that I can actually change versus what are the things that I need other people to participate in to be able to change? Um, makes a big, big difference and a big deal. And so there's different strategies here. Plus, there's like, you know, things that sort of impact, you know, every organization that's out there. Uh, and that's our sort of last section there, sort of, you know, global impact. And so that's kind of like where we find a lot of the practices that are really kind of pushing Agile forward. So, but like, you don't need to do all of that at once, but find a problem, figure out where that problem is, you know, what point of collaboration is it in, and what can you actually do about it and keep it isolated to the things that you actually have control over. And then just fix one problem. And then find the next problem, pick the next most important thing, track it down, then fix that thing, then find the next. I find that people want to do too much. It's like you come in and you try to do these classes, you know, or two-day classes, and they go through all these different things that you need to do, and then the teams maybe apply some of it, but maybe not all of it, you know, and then gradually, and then they forget about certain things, you know, and they're trying to do too much at once. So I'm a big fan of, like, pick one or two things and just change one or two things that that concretely you want to see a change, you want to see a different behavior when you're done. You want to have a, had a problem and that problem have gone away. And then find another problem and make that problem go away. And find another problem, make that problem go away. And that's the best way to get into any of these things. It's eating the elephant one bite at a time, right? And yeah. um, to, uh, jumping off that, Mike, one of the things that Pete brought up, um, which he said a couple of times, is you know, figuring out the problem that you want to solve. And I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. 
it has been my experience that a lot of companies, they get so excited and they want to start. They want to do something. Like Pete was just saying, we want to solve everything, right? We're going to do org structure. We're going to do reporting and we're going to get rid of the middleware. We're going to, you know, break out QA into all the teams. But we, I think the first step is knowing where you are before you actually try and take that first step. And would you concur? Would you agree that sometimes some of the places that we, we as practitioners have found ourselves painted into those corners, it's because we didn't take the arguably, right? Um, and maybe necessarily that slow burn in to figure out where do we actually sit before we take that leap off the ledge? Would you concur that you've seen a lot of that where we just want to, I mean, I, I hate to crap on safe because I, I do think there's a lot of good there, but there are companies which just have been sold a bill of goods. Hey, here's the big picture, go do this. And they want to go do it, but they never stop to ask, oh, what's, what's the Dr. Malcolm line from Jurassic Park? I can't believe I'm going to quote this movie. You, uh, you spent so much time trying to figure out if you could that you never stopped to figure out if you should. You know, I think that I, I just butchered Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, but what do you think, Mike? Do you think how important is the, is the concept of knowing where you're starting from before you actually take that leap? Uh, it, it, I concur, and I'm going to raise that with it's a vital and full agreement, 100%. So with that said, you know, there's the old quote, which I know some circles find it overused, and, and that, that's okay, you know, meet them where they are, which means getting an understanding of what the current state is. And, uh, I, you know, hey, from the book of Lisa Atkins with Coaching Agile Team, she would say, take it to the team. Now, I found teams that you take it to the team on any problem you have. Is this a problem for you? What do you think about? They often don't know. Matter of fact, I was reading on LinkedIn, the comic Agile, and they had this funny little thing that Scrum Master going with the team saying, I'm going to facilitate this meeting to help you out with your problems. Are you excited about it? And they say, sorry, why don't you facilitate that over there? We got a feature of the build right now. <laughs> and that's what we run into a lot as coaches. All right, I've been all roles, by the way, and Pete has too. We've been all over the place. So we know how it feels on the other side. I wrote an adventure, text-based adventure game as a developer of my team. So I, that, that was the beginning. I was like Zork. But in any event, I know how it feels to be there. And sometimes you just want to get stuff done. And so it's really hard to get teams, if you're a coach, always trying to push new stuff and they get change fatigue. And so it's better to go to them and uh, help get them time and space, clear it out, because a lot of times the problems are they're doing too much communication in the wrong way. That Agile helps bring in the communication at the right levels, the right amount, the right time. And then you got to go a little farther with that to make sure they aren't in wasteful meetings, wasteful time where they always feel like they're under the gun, you know, tyranny of that urgent happening where I got to get this done. I got to get this done. You got to clear out some time, which means leadership support to have that happen. And then you can say, all right, let's go through the Library of Agile, whatever tool you want to use there. We, we like the Library of Agile because of the effectiveness we've seen it. I've used it for that reason. And then they start coming and building their own buy-in to it because they co-created it. And they have the time so they don't feel like they're going to end up getting under a chopping block because they didn't meet their sprint goal or hit their velocity they're supposed to or whatever it is they're being measured by. So that's really important to get there. And understanding where they are first from their eyes rather than your own is always the best way to start. So um, you brought up the idea of, you know, jumping right in and using the right words and agile, agile, agile. You know, we come in and we start throwing all these words around at people. And it's the easiest way to lose people is to start blasting them with like garbage terms, right? Use nomenclature. 
Um, when you guys sent me some of the notes for to prep for the show, one of the things I, I my my spider sense perked up at is you have actual concrete examples of using this stuff where you used it, but you didn't specifically say, hey, we are using X, which I'm a big fan of, right? You could sneak it in, you know, Backdoor Agile is my screen name. If you could sneak it in that way, it makes sense. And you had two examples, one of a government agency, one of a Fortune 50 finance company, where you introduced these things. You didn't specifically say, we are going to do X. You just used it as a lever to get the results you want. And I think the results speak for themselves. I remember reading that... um. The government example, you ended up with your own community of practice. You were using all these mind mapping techniques and, the, and these mindset exercises, these assessments, um, without even saying you were actually doing it. And then conversely, I think the other example, which I think came from Pete, knowing Pete, um, where you guys were doing, uh, it, was a, it was a financial company where you introduced the change and then you started mapping the change to the pre-existing nomenclature and terminologies that were already there, right? So like, you know, Mike, uh, Mike you were just talking about meeting people where they're at. Um, and, and again, sometimes we get too excited with that shiny hammer that we want to hit everything with, where there is something to be said about just introducing it and sneaking it into being part of the parlance, sneaking it into the behavior without actually putting a name on it. Because as soon as you put a name on it, you know that, uh, I, I think you both would agree that anybody kicks up and it's, no, 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 we can't do agile. It, like pizza, it doesn't work here. And then you're kind of just left there shaking your head. Like, do I really want to have this conversation? How much coffee have I had? How much coffee have I had? Do I want to have this conversation? So the reason I bring that up is you guys have real life examples of using this stuff where it's actually fruitful and getting you the results you want without actually putting the, uh, you know, I'm Mike Mad Dog Doherty and I'll paint your agile for $49.95. You didn't have to put that badge on it, you know, which I think is, that's a, that's a very important um, success story to, to me, at least when I was reading that. Yeah. Don't tell anybody, you know, uh, just, just your thousands of listeners. Uh, we have this thing we call secret Amy. Um, <laughs> And it's uh, Amy, have, uh man. Sorry, I had to do that. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Dad jokes. Here we go. <laughs> um, I wish I had somebody uh, who's a member of the community that uh, created a, a logo for us, the Secret Amy. Um, and it's this process that you were just describing of that when you you don't have to advertise it, and it works anywhere. And so it's really about looking at the situation that you're in and breaking it down and figuring out how to solve what you're doing. And so like take that big finance, the Fortune 50 finance company. So they had had one of the big consultants. I think we probably all know, you know, what that one of the consultant four. that yep. probably was. Yep. Yeah, one of the big ones there. Uh, and they had figured out their, um, this method of working, um, I'll say it that way, uh, that they wanted to roll out. And it, there was nothing wrong with it. I looked at this listing of things that they wanted and it was like standard DevOps practices. It was collaborative planning. You know, basically they sent the equivalent of PI planning. They weren't doing safe. Uh, they weren't doing scaled agile, but they needed some aspect of this. They needed some engineering practices rolled into all those kinds of stuff. And the, you know, they were looking at, you know, like, well, we already had our own plans. And then here comes in this consulting company and they want us to be able to do all of these things. And so what, are we supposed to just scrap all the stuff that we were working on and start working on their thing? And I was like, oh, no, let me show you this thing. So we're going to create a cross track here. So we put up all the Amy selections and we took all the stuff they've been working on. We mapped it to the different Amy categories. Then we took the one that was being you know, you know, handed to us to implement and mapped those as well. And now we had a crosswalk. And so every time they ask us for this practice, I just crosswalked over to the practice they were already doing that solved it and then reported it back. 
And so for everything that they asked us to do, we could go and look and say, hey, we're doing it. This is how we're doing it. This is the data that we need to collect. And, we can, and they, they didn't have to change anything in the teams. They didn't have to change the words that they, that they were using. They didn't have to change the processes, but they could still you know, uh, contribute and show to the upper management that they were listening, they were paying attention and that they were doing what the upper management wanted them to do and wanted them to implement. Um, and we actually went through this thing. We did the whole Amy process and we did the prioritization of problems and we walked through it and we actually did a quick whiz chip on it. Uh, and so we, they, they gave us this listing of all these things that needed to be done. It was like, okay, when do you need to have them done? We're like, well, we figured it's probably going to be over the next, you know, six months to a year. I'm like, okay, great. Perfect. So we just said, what is the most important thing that the team needs to get done? What's the problem they're dealing with right now? What do you want to roll out right now? And we solved that. We put that together. We added in a report, and that became part of our monthly report. And we showed them how, hey, we're working on these, this category that you asked us to switch to, to improve. You know, we're improving it by doing these activities over here. And we not only became the, the team within the organization that was rolling out the organizational-wide program the fastest, um, but we were having so much such a great impact that they actually reached out to us and said, hey, can you come show the rest of the teams how you implemented you know, our program and what we were doing? Um, and so that was like, you know, great, you know, sort of reinforcing kind of, you know, thing to show that we actually were not only solving, all pro solving our problems, but solving their problems as well. We were helping them to do an agile transformation, even though the people on the ground disagreed with how that approach was upfront, but really they didn't disagree. It just all came down to terminology and we wanted to be able to choose our own agile adventure. So we secret in the background, did an Amy transformation with the crosswalks, with everything, and everybody was happy. The teams were happy on the ground, the leadership was happy. Um, and they just, they got to pick their own paths and they were able to show the organizations that it is possible to roll this stuff out. And there is a good, you know, sort of approach that is also good for the teams. Everybody wins. And it sounds to me, Pete, that even inadvertently you solve for one of the problems that I guarantee you every single one of us has seen in every single engagement we've ever had. It's the ability to report on how are things going in an intelligent, demonstrable way where everybody is speaking the same language. And by listing what they did and crosswalking it to the secret Amy, and then having the ability to report out on what you're actually working on tied to something that's in English that everyone can understand. That's one of the biggest problems we all face, right? No matter what role you're filling in an org, it's how do I, how do I show people that I'm doing a good job? And the other thing is, how do I, how can I tell my coaches are worthwhile? We have another episode coming out on that. So I'm not going to bury that lead. Um, but that's the other problem, right? Is how do I report out on this stuff? And you, inadvertent well, uh, without purpose backed yourself into that back yourself into answering that question to be able to say here's the things that i'm working on here's where it's trending and here's what's up next well it wasn't accidental i I've, i'm sure michael's been in the same situation i've been asked that question gone through a transformation and had the executives walk down and say all right so how do i know that my teams are better and you know we're like well you know we should see an increase in velocity we should be getting more stories done and like okay yeah so what does that mean you know, and then it's like, you know, okay, well, then that should result in be able to getting features out the door. Okay, great. You know, and then you realize that what they're really asking is, and I had a couple cases that it's usually a script that they're, that they're living by that they are not telling us, which is, mm. I've got budget cuts coming up. Uh, the market doesn't look great. I don't want to fire people, mm -hmm. but I'm going to have to, and I need to turn things around and Agile's supposed to help us with that. You know, but it's a different, there's a, 
if you have those sort of expectations that you've got a budget and that you're working on a budget and now we're just trying to improve our flows, we're trying to, like there's all these metrics that we have inside of Agile that mean something, but they have to all come together in order to move the financial sheet and determine whether or not somebody gets fired, you know, in three months or not. And putting all those pieces together, you know, I had to show that like you are, your teams need to make a couple of these changes in order to enable them to make the other changes that you're going to see the effects of. And so, yeah, you're not going to see a lot coming out in these first you know, three months or six months, but then you're going to start to see the return on it. And with one company I was doing with, I was able to show that like, you know, yeah, we made these changes. You didn't see this happening, but now they learned these techniques and now they're able to actually think about the customer and they're actually able to be customer focused and they're actually able to do some customer discovery. And so at the six month point, getting into the nine months and into the year long point, the, the teams that had gone through that transformation were now overshooting their budget numbers. They were bringing in twice as much revenue, three times, and one team was bringing in four times as much revenue. And so they didn't have to do the cuts. And so I was able to tie it back and forth together and say, you know, in order to get there, you have to have these things in place because if you don't have these things, these things will fall apart. And so that's why we're doing this now. And so tracking all of that stuff and putting it together and showing like, what's the measure in agile transformation? like that they actually got better, that they actually tried some things and they did, all right, well, which things? And that be, you know, that really is where the, the Amy comes into place and showing, all right, you, these are the things that need to be improved and the team has to know in order to be able to drive your numbers. So track them on whether or not they actually do this thing. I don't care which technique they use, but make sure they make a change. They're not doing it now. When we're done, they are doing it. And now they're ready to help you with the bottom line. It's almost as if, it's, I mean, I hate to use the term, I hate to use the term broken windows policing, right? Because it has some negative connotation, but the idea of concentrating to your point, Pete, on that one little thing, right? Let's start here with this one thing and let's build on that one thing. And like you said, you may not see it in the first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, but what you're doing is you're planting seeds that very quickly do end up germinating. And that idea of just starting with those one little things and moving from there and getting to the point where you can prove that it's a lot like um, to the, to you, to where you can prove that, yeah, I don't need to lay anybody off. Actually, I need to hire people because you know, there there's um, Mike, I'm going to ask you there con conceptually. And in your experience, I have the hypothesis that in these transformations, a lot like what Pete was saying, there's always two or three low hanging fruit. I hate to use that term, but there's two or three little things that if you kind of just let the air a little bit out of that balloon, you'll find things kind of go nuts, right? And I think that one of the things that we struggle with, and I, one of the things that this, this mindset mapping index can help is find those little things. Because when you're looking at a system, you're looking at you know companies of 20, 30, 40, 100,000 people, it's quite difficult to find that one little, oh, what does this button do? You hit the button and everything goes the way it's supposed to. Would you agree, Mike, that that's one of the, the benefits of this tool is going to help you find those, those little things that can make a big difference? Absolutely. I, um, I consider it uh, like treasure hunting for those. It, it, some people have a knack for finding them. I find out I have a knack for having other people expose them to me, and then I just need to take action. It could be as simple as I remember working on uh, improving the DevOps for a uh, financial institution that has a card everybody would know. And they said, um, oh, uh, we don't right now check in our code daily. 
and then everyone else go, what? Why don't we, why aren't we checking in our code daily for one of the products they have? Just haven't gotten around it. We'll get to it soon. It's like, let's do it. And and they implemented it. And I heard back a couple months later that the the quality of the code, the uh, amount of bugs had gone down, their throughput gone down, just because they started checking in code daily. One little thing that they've been running with this particular product for years and years and years, probably a decade now plus, and they just ha hadn't done it. Um, so that's one example of a change. Now, now it could be bigger changes that take more effort. One that I usually like to see is uh, team restructuring if it's needed in that a lot of teams are restructured. Like I said, 30 people in a team. There was a contract that allowed that. Basically, it was an offshore provider and they had it where <laughs> if we didn't meet our velocity, we'll add more people. And so a traditional it, agile team, you know, seven plus or minus two went to be 12, 15, 20, 30, because the, the client was like, hey. <laughs> Guys, fi this Fibonacci <laughs> number is going the wrong way. We're going the wrong way. Yeah. We're going, we gotta be going down. This is going up, yeah. And we know how that, how that turns out. It turns mm -hmm. out where actually the result is the opposite. The, the output, it, it comes out lower and, and the outcome might not be existent at all. Yeah, they just start closing in the, the lines of communication just go multiply exponentially and it looks more worse than the 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 Loki show on Mar uh, on Disney Plus of all the timeline splitting going on instead of team splitting of all these things happening nobody can keep track of it anymore. I think you just came up with a new idea, Mike. You, do, you know the multiverse team topology model. There's a there's there's something there. Somebody will buy that T-shirt. Somebody <laughs> will buy that. So, gentlemen, we're quickly running out of time. Um, I do want to give one final question to both of you, and it's um, if people want to get more information. If they want to find out more, if they want to engage with the two of you, Pete, where do they go to find you? You can go to the library of agile.org. Uh, you can also look for the AMMI, the AME community of practice. So we have a meetup and we meet about once a month on Wednesdays, like I think it's the second Wednesday of the month. And it's a great place to just be able to talk with other people who get it, who understand what's going on and share ideas back and forth. Um, so go check out the library of agile.org, um, uh, go on meetup and search for the Amy community of practice. Uh, you'll find those things. And you can also find me on uh, LinkedIn um, and ask me questions and send me stuff. So I'm, uh, I think my shorthand is Pete. Okay. Um, but if you look for Pete Oliver Kruger, pull up in the note, you know, I'm, about, I'm the only one on LinkedIn that has the last name of Oliver Kruger. Um, so <laughs> nice and easy to find me there. And, yeah, and, and unlike, Unlike me, you have actual vowels in your name, so it's a lot easier to find. You just me, you just smash a bunch of keys in the keyboard. What were you gonna say, Mike? And just to throw in uh, a potential challenge to anyone out there, if you have even an inkling of interest, when you go to the Library of Agile, go through it at the team or the product level. Pick something that you know is a problem or you're aware is a problem going on at your product level or your team level, and just run with it. See what happens. See how it turns out. Give it a try. Give it a whirl. We want you to use it. Nothing more than that. And then give us feedback on anything you see on improving it one way or the other. It didn't really work for this reason or it did work for that reason. We'd love to have any feedback at all during whatever you can. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can give feedback on Library of Agile wherever you can find us.
Perfect. Perfect. So uh, on behalf of all of our listeners, Mike and Pete, I want to thank you both for taking time out of your busy Christmas week uh, to sit down and chat with us. On behalf of Pete, Mike, and myself, I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in once again. Uh, just as a reminder, if you like what you heard, we have a very vibrant Discord server. I think we just hit our 400th registered user. Uh, they've had a lot of conversation going on, which is kind of wild because it's a Christmas break. You'd think it would be slow, and yet we got people yelling at each other about frameworks and safe and, and BDD oh my. So please find us on Discord. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, shout out to Chris at Machine Man Records for providing our uh, outro music by the artist Krebs free of charge. If you like ministry, if you like industrial stuff, uh, please give them a check. And last but not least, we are committed to always being free. However, we do have a Patreon. So if you like what you heard and you want to um, contribute a couple bucks to offset hosting and production, uh, feel free to sign up. You will definitely get a surprise in the mail from me. Uh, we do have a, quite a few stickers and baubles and geeky stuff out there. So um, if that's what you're into, please feel free to sign up. So once again, I want to thank Pete and Mike for taking the time today. And until next episode, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out.